0: There's no end to the Vanderpump Rules cheating scandal. It's just really tough, you know, when you have a camera on your face and you feel like your life's falling apart. It's all coming out, y'all. Saturday, 10 p.m., there's a photo of Tom Sandoval visiting co-star Raquel Levis' apartment. Folks jumped on this saying it's proof he's unapologetic about the affair. But a source tells E.T. it wasn't a hookup. It was a work visit for Bravo's cameras, which fired back up Friday to capture the drama for season 10. In this snap, you can see they've dubbed the new episode Scandaval. In relationships, you see when people go to the dark side
1: I'm just trying to live my life, and I'm sorry if that offends people.
0: A source tells ET Tom and Ariana Maddox are telling friends they're totally done. And remember that sexually explicit video she found on his phone, which Raquel now claims it was recorded without her consent? She sent several members of the cast, including Tom, a legal warning to delete it. We're told the women on the cast are disgusted. I don't know if you know how this works. I know you're
2: pretty brand new to the game. Didn't last long. Look what you did with your. 15 minutes, you have something to send over, you can send it to my lawyer. That's why we have counsel.
0: Hello and welcome to Killer Casting. I'm Lisa Sanbetti. I'm the casting director for many projects, television, film, commercials, video games. And once in my career, I was asked to cast something sort of documentary, reality TV-ish, kind of a cross hybrid. And I have to say it was probably one of the most moving experiences of my life. Um, And so today I wanted to talk to a couple people who are in that world. So we're going to pivot from what we usually talk about. We usually break down the weird and wonderful world of of TVs, TV shows that I binge, movies that I'm into, you know, all that stuff. But we're really going to pivot to a different kind of casting. And I have a colleague on with me today who's brought some amazing guests with her.
3: Please introduce yourself, ma'am. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Lisa. Um, Yeah, you and I met in CSA at the uh, CSA little chat. And funny enough, CSA obviously started out with a scripted conglomerate, uh, but recently they've been adding reality TV casting directors and casting producers to the fold, which is who I am. I'm a reality TV casting director and I've been in the industry about 10 years now. I started out as a recruiter walking the streets and literally <laughs> that's how we find people sometimes is hitting them up in the supermarket or at a bar, or club or at the beach. Um, and I've turned it into a career. I uh, I have my own company. It's called KMOS Casting. Um, and I also, because of this world that. Embraced me and kind of changed my life from hospitality to TV. Mm-hmm. Wanted to give back. So I started an award show for reality television. So I started the American Reality TV Awards. We're going into our 10th annual show. We're actually accepting submissions right now until March 17th. Um, and I also run reality TV casting calls, Facebook and Instagram. So if anybody's interested in finding a show that they might be, you know wanting to participate on or audition for, you can check that out too. So that's a little bit about me. That's an amazing introduction. And you have brought with you somebody special who
0: I've never met before. Please go ahead and introduce yourself.
2: Yes. Hello. My name is Jeffrey Marks. Thanks for having me today. I am a casting producer for Unscripted Television. Some of my credits include the cotton candy favorites like Nailed It, uh, Lindsay Lohan's Beach House, Um, I also just won an Emmy for Love on the Spectrum this past year. Oh, yay! Thank you so much. I also, one of my prized, uh, most cherished, uh, positions has been with HBO for a show called We Are Here, which has, Mm -hmm. uh, drag queens traveling to conservative areas of America and putting on one night only drag shows. And let me tell you, that has gotten way more contentious since we began that project. Uh, so we're eagerly eagerly anticipating if we will have a season four or not. So stand by on that. Uh, but I've done the MTV's The Real World, The Challenge, Project uh. Runway. Uh, I've been around for about 11 years in this industry. I really am the generation that I grew up thinking, hey, it'll be fun to go on reality TV. Let's make friends. Let's win money. Uh, I was a freshman in high school when Real World started. So I'm kind mm. of an encyclopedia of this genre. So thanks for having me.
3: Absolutely. And joining us, I I do want to add Jeffrey, how did you get into this industry?
2: Oh, sure. Sometimes I forget about that. (laughs) So I actually, I had applied for nine years in a row for big brother on CBS. And I never once got a phone call or anything. I applied one time to a show called glass house, which was basically like a ripoff of big brother for ABC. There was a huge lawsuit. There was a whole thing, but it was just a one hit wonder kind of a summer. And I was, the gay guy on that show that went through to the end of the summer so that i was i wanted the experience i didn't care if people watched it or not i wanted i wanted to be in front of the camera having that experience and now i work behind the scenes so i very much know how to you know walk someone into the experience if they're just applying for a show for the first time so
0: Thank you for that. And joining us, popping in, looking absolutely smashing, is my our other guest. Please introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do. I think you're talking about me.
1: <laughs> 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 oh, hey, I'm Rachel Riley. I work in casting. Um, I have actually really cool experience because I've been on reality shows for, gosh, almost 14 years now. Um, so I've been on camera. I was on Big Brother, Amazing Race, uh, Traders, Snake in the Grass, um, Fear Factor. My wedding was televised. But I got really got into casting in 2016. Um, I had a baby and I was like, I love this industry so much. I really want to continue working in the industry. And I needed to navigate how to work in the industry without being in a competition reality show as a pregnant Mm -hmm. mom. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I had this really cool opportunity to do this show in Vegas. Um, Out of Vegas, which I was kind of known for at the time, um, my good friend Rita gave me a chance um, and told me she thought I would be a great recruiter. And so then the rest is history. I've worked... And casting ever since.
0: Thank you for that. Welcome. Whoops. Where'd she go? Hope she's still here. Just log back on, honey, if you're out there. Um, we'll edit this part out. Um, thank you all for coming. And just to go back to what um, Kristen said a minute ago. So she mentioned the the CSA. So for all of you civilians out there, that's the Casting Society of America, which is actually an international organization of casting directors. And yeah, we started out just TV casting people, film casting people, theater casting people, but we've expanded to embrace our brothers and sisters and, you know, and, and whoever else is out there, who's doing casting for commercials and doing casting for reality, because I don't think, I think some, I think you may, Jeffrey, have introduced yourself as a casting producer. I think maybe the, you know, people who aren't in the industry don't realize that there is a casting profession and that they're there. And I would love to get, you know, how you do your jobs and, And, you know, what what is a day in your life? But just to say that I think for for a lot of us, reality television is so personal. When you find a show that you love, you will just become completely hypnotized by it, Um, whether you know, for me, I'll just shout out, you know, I've loved The Bachelor franchise, Project Runway, Top Chef. Real Housewives, um, holiday baking championships, Selling Beverly Hills, great—I don't know if I said—Great British Baking Show, you know, Doctor Poll. Um, and I have to say that you know, like you, Jeffrey. Well, I, I was—I think I was a little younger when I started watching Real World Road Rules, but but they completely captivated me. The ones that you get, you get, and the other ones that you don't get, you don't get. Like I've never watched Big Brother. I've never watched—you know—a lot of those things. But and in fact, one of my closest friends is msada Nia, who was on one of the original road rules casts and it's so funny and she's lived with me she and her husband lived with me for years and we're such good friends she's she's just so dear to me but i've never asked her about her time because for some people it's a very painful experience once they come out of it and it's a very personal experience even though your whole life has been broadcast over the fucking world um you know um so i guess what i'm trying to say is. There are positives about the reality space and some negatives. And the positive, as you were saying, Jeffrey, is you get to deep dive into a culture or a subculture or a world that you never thought even existed. You know, you get to empathize with people who you may have hated before. You know, that's why I think, um, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy was such a groundbreaking reality show. Um, and you know, so many of those are, I mean, just like you know, Project One Runway, just seeing people with a skill set that I will never have and how hard they work and their blood, sweat, and tears coming out of their fingers um is such an amazing opportunity. And then I guess you have the flip side, you have a lot of people who hate reality TV shows for some of the things that maybe landed in the Kardashian's lap or or the housewives or, yes. lap or something <laughs> like that. I mean, how what is it? So, Rachel, just to catch you up, we were talking we just talking, I was just listing off some of my favorite reality shows, which unfortunately you're not on any of the ones that I've ever watched, but I certainly have people <laughs> who I just, you know, ride or die for, you know, on Top Chef or Project Runway or Great British Baking Show or, you know, whatever, whatever. And that, that reality shows are so personal. They just, they grab you in a way, whether you can relate to the people on the show or not, conversely, people who I would, I've never, you know, dreamed of. Did I mention that my husband was a reality show producer? He worked on Axemen and he actually got hit by a tree um, that they were chopping down. And he also did Full Throttle Saloon, which is um, set in Sturgis. It's a motorcycle um, reality show that happens only, you know, once a year. He doesn't know anything, doesn't know fuck all about motorcycles or Sturgis or anything, but getting to... To learn learn as as you the, go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the getting to know the real people who really live the life was such an incredible opportunity for him. Um, anyway, anything you want to chime in on that I've spewed out just now, please? Yeah,
2: well, you know, I think you bring up a good point about the duality of reality TV there's sort of a yin and a yang of good and evil, right? And for any valid criticisms of the genre, they exist for a reason, you know, there, there are the the lower level ones, in my opinion, like you mentioned, the Kardashians type of thing. I've never once seen a whole episode who care less. Um, But there also is really room to kind of change society one living room at a time. If you get the right stories, you get the right voices, you boost the right experiences. As society grows and changes, you really have an opportunity to kind of crawl up within the machine of reality TV and make strategic changes for the betterment of human the human race i might romanticize that a little bit only because i am such a strong connection to reality television and what it does mm-hmm. so i really have a very specific loving view of what can be good about it even mm-hmm. though there's absolutely garbage trash evil i mean we, we it could be argued we have a pre- had a president because of it so like I understand all the valid criticism. Which I
0: love that show by the way when it was on my husband and Great I would show. never would never miss it
2: by the way. Great you show, know. well produced. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think it's so funny too and from a casting perspective we you know, we're looking for real people. At the end of the day, I I, I still think that the general population believes that these people were hired to be on reality television and it's just not the case i'm sure your husband can attest the axmen they really are doing that profession that's what they do mm-hmm. and we are the people who are set out to find the most dynamic exciting versions of the people that are being required by the network to slot into this show which has a bones you know kind of structure and these people that we find fill it up and they make the excitement and they make the drama and they do all that. There's no writers behind the scenes telling them what to say. Sure. Are they set into situations where they're going to have to speak with each other and they're going to have to resolve conflict and all of those things? Yes. But the words themselves coming out of their mouths and Rachel will be able to be the first one to say, that is truly coming from the person that was found on reality TV. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've cast survival survivalist shows, and a, a lot of what I do is call around and I'll ask experts a little bit about that world so that I'm not talking to someone completely ignorant of what that what exists and what it takes to be a survivalist or what it means to live off the land or, you know, where you would want your perfect plot to be. If you were making a bunker, you need, you know, fresh water running through, preferably where it sprouts from the the spring. So it's not contaminated on the way down. I mean, there's things that we have to learn. And we, I, I feel like my college plus education comes from casting people for reality TV Mm because we're educating ourselves all day long on the people we have to find.
0: Mm -hmm. Rachel, do you want to chime in here?
3: No.
1: Yeah. I, that's why I love
0: unscripted also.
1: I think for me, the unscripted stories are what really like makes me love the genre and the fact that like, yeah, that these are real people, real stories. And we do put them in extreme situations and we do put them in, you know, sure even when it's like um a lifestyle show or a docu follow where they're like hey you guys are all meeting up today at you know whatever cafe like they're still going through situations that actually are going on in their lives right so like i really appreciate that about that about unscripted and about the genre because i think it's it's real it's you know People always are like, oh, you know, the reality stars don't have talent or reality TV is uh, just you have to just turn on a camera and record things. But it's not like that at all. And I think that for me, uh, getting to do the casting for it, I've learned that the people that we find and the personalities and the stories we're able to get from them are what is going to make production be able to tell that story in a more broad sense. So like you know, for example, like, uh, so I'm casting like the senior bachelor right now. Right. So like, I'm asking all these people like, yeah, I love it. I'm so excited. I'm so
0: excited. I'm so excited.
1: Yeah. It's adorable. Um, but I'm asking the guys, like, tell me about your relationship, like what you were married. Tell me about your marriage. You lost your wife. Tell me about what is, what is that like? Like, what is that like to lose someone after being with them for 40 years? And because I'm able to get these stories in casting, we take these notes and we can give that to production. So then when production is going through the story and telling this person's story while they're falling in love mm-hmm. on camera, they're going to know, oh, this person is this way because of this. And this is something that this person really enjoys doing. So and I think casting in reality in unscripted is so important. Like, I just feel like I don't think people give uh, casting enough credit in Unscripted, right? I agree with
2: that. I, I think that, I mean, we're we're truly like human scientists. You know, as yeah. a casting producer, you have to be able to use your perceptive powers. You have to be able to size up a person's personality, what their history is like, what that means about who they are, how they might act in certain situations with certain people. You really have to have a lot of hats as a casting producer, and you have to know people very well. You have to know them instantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I do think that's one of my great, great some of my friends many years are like, Jeffrey, you're so judgmental. And I'm like, well, I pay the rent doing that. So <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very good at doing that. And I'm never, I'm very rarely wrong. So it, you really have to come at it from a very scientific, fun, but scientific point of view. But
1: actually, it's sorry. like research, right? It's literally research. And, and also like, I feel like we're like a little bit of a therapist. We're like a mm-hmm. researcher oh. because we have to like know everything about whatever we're doing. And it's almost like when, so, you know, I cast a cooking show. I, honest to God, didn't know much about cooking, but I felt like I needed to learn everything I possibly could to find the best chefs for this show. And then I learned from just asking them questions and genuine curiosity about learning about people. If you're looking to get into the industry, like a genuine curiosity about people, I think is a really important, uh, like a facet that all the casting people in Unscripted have.
0: Specifically, since you're working on the Bachelor franchise, I just wanted to ask you because there's a lot of chatter out there that um, the casting producers are looking for villains. They're looking for the sweetheart. They're looking for the this. They're looking for the that. I mean... I know what your answer is going to be. But is that in your <laughs> mind when you're when you're interviewing um and the the whole intake process of the candidates that go on the show?
1: I mean, for me no, because I I am just trying to find their stories and like I mean, that's not my job to like label someone as the villain or label someone as the whatever typecast that they want them to be. Like I always kind of think my job is to you know, get their story and find out why they are the way that they are. Um, But I mean, of course we see on all these, like the dating shows and the competition shows, people do fall into a certain category. I mean, I know I've been the villain. I've been the crazy redhead, you know, the whatever category people want to put me in, but by the same. You've token, also been the I hero.
2: Think, You've been all of them. You've Right. Said all the yeah. Doctors. Thank
1: you. <laughs> also like you get surprised by these people because it's not like you think oh they're they're gonna be the villain and then they come on the show and they're the hero or you think that they're gonna be you know america's sweetheart and they come on and you're just like who is this person (laughs) i just i think you like for me for especially with this show maybe because it's like the senior the golden bachelor i'm just honest to god like i look at it very much as like i'm getting their story I see this person's like what their background is and I'm just trying to like learn about them.
3: And at the end of the day just like in scripted, we present who we feel are the best candidates yeah. based on what the network has told us they want. Mm-hmm. But we're not the ones making the final selections. Right. And for what reasons those final selections are being made. Obviously we can make our pitches for any of the people that we've interviewed, but at the end of the day, you know, the powers that be, the money makers, those are the ones making the final, final decisions. I th- Although I must say, when I was working on MasterChef, we would go around the country and we were interviewing people in person, which doesn't really happen anymore. A lot of our interviews are done over Zoom, so we can mm-hmm. meet as many people nationwide as possible. Um, but I look for someone who invokes any sort of an emotion in me, whether it's, oh my God, I love you. I want to be your best friend. Or whether it's like Mm. you frustrate the hell out of me, but you (laughs) have something. I mean, I look for someone who evokes emotion. You know, some people I feel like go the other way. They're like, oh my, I hate that person. Wow. I can't even like be in the same room as them. To me, that still makes for a good character. I can't, we're not going to like everyone. No one's ever going to like everyone. But to say that they're good for television, I think it's an important thing to have them evoke some sort of an emotion in you.
1: Yeah, 100%. And also like, I always look for people that I think, okay, this is going to be amazing television. Like it's either the story or the type of personality or the way that they tell me they're going to play the game or whatever. I'm like, oh, this is amazing television. Like, I don't even care about all this other stuff. It's just like, well, you know, we're in the business of making good TV. So, (laughs) like,
0: (laughs) and I'm sure there are a lot of heartbreaking moments where there are people that you were championing who don't get on. Do you? Can you speak to that a
2: little bit? I mean, it's. I mean, um, go ahead. (laughs) Well, it's no. (laughs) You
3: it's So hard. (laughs) Yeah, it's why I started the the Instagram and the Facebook page because. People would come back to me like, you know, what do you think? Or I, I would like be scouring other people, all the casting director friends that I have be scouring their, you know, their Instagrams and seeing what they're casting so I could pass it along to the person that I loved. But mm-hmm. I mean, talk about time consuming. I wasn't getting paid to that to do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, let me just put as many casting calls as I can find in one place so that this way, if anyone asks, where can I find a, a reality TV casting call? I send them there because I I do what I can to try to keep that as updated as possible with what's going on in the industry.
2: Well, I have a little story about this. Oh, go go ahead.
1: ahead. (laughs) No, I was just going to say, I meet people and I always share with other things I think they'll be good for. I, I tried to get a girl on a show, on a dating show for like six years before they finally put her on the dating show. So I feel like Yeah, I I always keep people in mind, too. Um, Go ahead, Jeffrey. Sorry.
2: (laughs) No, that's okay. So, um, yeah, so the first two seasons when we were casting We're Here, um, again, which is the drag queen show that goes to small conservative towns across America, we physically traveled to some of those cities ahead of time. Uh, And it was a lot of um, bridge building with the community, Mm -hmm. the queer community in there. Sometimes, and this was pre-COVID, but we would maybe have like a bar night at a local ally bar and like kind of I would hit people up on Grinder and be like hey come out Friday night we're gonna meet we'd love to meet everyone and hear everyone's stories well as you can imagine in a small town that lights interest very fast you know you talk to one gay person you talk to them all so we there was cities that were pitched that just for one reason or another and it usually had nothing to do with the quality of the people or the story um, and as COVID kind of came into play that definitely dictated what cities we would have. But there are two cities, one in Kentucky, one in Kansas, that I still to this day, I think about these people because they definitely had stories that were like ready to be shared, ready to be mm-hmm. seen to the world. There was even one incident where I literally, this, I mean, I was in the middle of, I accidentally went to a crack den in Kentucky to talk to some queer addicts that were um, in uh, in Kentucky. And their stories were so vibrant and personal and they were so excited. And I also was like low-key fearful for my life because there was like <laughs> a weird straight guy upstairs that like owned the place. Anyway, it was right. quite a casting adventure. But I still think about those people because I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, that it was just a moment in time that just didn't work out. And, and mm-hmm. you know, who knows if we'll circle back to them. So I do think about those types of things all the time.
0: And it's one thing to get... Re- rejected with a lowercase r not a big case r when you're an actor and you come in and you do a scene and you know you don't get the role it's another thing to have your fucking life story that you blurted out to a complete stranger and and you know you're and then they're like no (laughs) you know that's not this story is not america doesn't want to see this i mean that's not what you're doing but that must be how it feels on the inside you know and my
2: response to that always is Hey, follow me on Instagram. I post casting notices all the time. I will absolutely remember you when the right project comes along. I say that a hundred times.
3: And it, it is like part of part of what I preach also. Just because you're trying this once doesn't mean that this is the only time you can try for XYZ show. This may not be your show. And even when people, you know, maybe they have this idea in mind, they want to do reality TV. The first thing I say is, select a show that's going to work for you. If you love designing clothes, then maybe you should look into a project runway sort of thing versus just doing a dating show, even though you're kind of not open for love, just because you feel like you want to do a show. If you're not that competitive or you don't care if you win, you just kind of want to have fun. Don't try out for big brother. They want people who are the most competitive people they can find. (laughs) So, and then the other thing about reality TV, which is a tough, it's a tough thing too. It's not just the people who don't make it on the show. It's sometimes the people who made it on the show and maybe they didn't get as far as they wanted, or maybe they're looking for their next opportunity. Rachel is an outlier in this industry. It's not easy to go and continue a reality TV career, like an actor, an actor, the more credits you have, the more wanted you are in reality. So often the network wants someone who's never been on a show before. They want fresh blood all the time. So I don't know, Rachel. Maybe you could talk. Yeah, what's your what's your secret that? to your success to your longevity? Yeah, I think.
1: Well, I think they're changing with that too because you see, like the traders, and you see, like there's this. Um, oh my gosh, what's it called? There's this uh, new show, Perfect called- Match. Is oh perfect- well, Perfect Match. Yeah, that's a dating show. They're using Netflix is like recycling their people. There's this other like. You know, we see like the Battle of the Network Stars type shows, right? And like the triggers, challenge,
0: like, the challenge, yeah. right? To bring people
1: from other like other shows and giving them more opportunities, and I think they should because I feel like we fall in love with these characters and in the, these experiences, and we want to know about what happens next. But then, like. You know, even for someone that's been on like, you know, 13 years like myself, like, I still think I, it's fun to watch me. I don't know, maybe I'm just talking about myself. But I think it's fun (laughs) to watch me on a show. And like, I think people enjoy seeing people that they know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's but I think
2: that's—I think a side effect of that has been from devouring so much content during yeah. the quarantine era of the pandemic, right? That this real sense of nostalgia has kind of creeped in just into the human psyche, right? Just in general. Yeah. Like we would watch our comfort shows. Well, you know what? We have comfort casting too. There's mm-hmm. people who we've seen on past shows that people have either fallen in love with or fallen in hate with but they love to hate that person. And sometimes there's a redeeming arc as well for like a villain that you can root for. That's my favorite archetype, a villain that you can root for. But you can find a lot of these new shows that are coming that are revisiting past reality participants. It's because there's an audience there for it. There's people who remember it. They watched stuff during the pandemic and now it's all kind of raised to the surface again so people like Rachel and people like Tiffany Pollard I love New York there's a there's a good couple handfuls of people that are great examples of they just deliver every time they're authentic they're fun whether you love them or hate them you're excited to watch them and that's important for a good cast
3: just well, FYI I, Tiffany Pollard was our hall of fame inductee for the ninth annual American reality I, tv award
2: perfect choice love, perfect choice
3: okay. but and also, her speech was phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> But I also think
0: it's maybe it's a particularly American quirk, but we love to see the redemption of a villain. And I'm yeah. just thinking about, you know, this is old school, but Puck from um, mm-hmm. the real world, I don't know if sure. pe- some people do or don't remember him, who was a real, like the quintessential bad boy and over the years, they brought him back for reunions and this and that and followed him around and showed his struggle with addiction and showed his struggle with so many things. And as he aged and had his own children and had, you know, I mean, it was just really fascinating to watch his evolution and his his struggles. Um, so, you know, it, I think that we we do love villains and and to see or I am thinking of of people who are like villains on The Bachelor and then turn around and become, you know, princes and queens on Bachelor and Paradise, you know they—they they turn out they kind of you know can rewrite a history, um. But it's just kind of fascinating. Like we do that.
1: like Ashley I, yeah, like Ashley I, like everyone wants to root for her to find love because we see her on The Bachelorette or a Bachelor. We see her on Bachelor in Paradise so many times, and now she finally found love. And I'm like, well, I need more Ashley I. Like right. I want to know what's like what's going on. Like you know, I and like I know that she's like has a baby or whatever, but. I feel like there are those people that you want to get to know more and that it's different because like on a lifestyle show, follow them for 10 years, like pump rules, right? Like we followed that show for 10 years and we know everything that's possibly going on. And there's this huge scandal right now. right, right, And then like everyone invested in it because like we've followed this, like this story. But like, I remember hearing about when they were, when they were going through casting and just doing interviews, I think they did interviews at, um, what what restaurant was it? Uh, Villanova or something? Is that right, Kristen?
2: That was her. Yeah, that was her restaurant before Sir. Pump. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So like, um, I remember them like interviewing the people that were like bartenders and waitresses and everything. It's just like I think that's so fascinating to me too because we we feel like we know these people even though you've never even met them. Like well, even when I watched <laughs> you on Glass House, Jeffrey, I was like, oh my god, I know Jeffrey. Like I know who he is. <laughs> Well, no, we hung
2: we hung out a bunch that summer. After all, you Big Brother people, no one watched Last House except for people who were on Big Brother. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I watched.
0: <laughs> but this is what's so fascinating about. So, you just mentioned this scandal that's going on um, from the vent in the Vanderpump it's tough, man. It's in tough. the Vanderpump World. So, I've never seen this show. I don't know fuck all about any of these people. But I just drove seven hours um, back to LA from a holiday, and I had all these podcasts that I listened to and. Everybody was talking about it, so I feel like I know who Ariana it's a big deal. Is. I, I feel like I, I know all these can people. Can I there?
2: outline it for, can yes, I outline please, it for please people who might not, not know? Not show it for me, yes. So, okay, so there's Vanderpump Rules, it's a show that takes place in West Hollywood. It's a bunch of drunk, mostly straight, pretty people who are like want to be either musicians, actors, whatever, but they all work in the service industry. And one of the guys who has been a long standing hero of sorts in this cast. He's good looking. He usually doesn't says the right things. He, you know, he's had a little bit of bumpy road with some of the women in the past, but he all in all is an all-star, like, A-plus dude, right? Well, he just totally screwed over his, like, really good girlfriend. With one of the trashiest, baddest, worst lady, dumbest. <laughs> so, girls so we're not team Raquel.
0: We're guys here. It's, we're not. No,
2: team Raquel. it's he's gone from hero to villain. That's right. very rare when someone has really? a long track history of being a hero and then d- really just gambles their life away. And everyone on the show, the viewers, and the people who are on it can't can't believe that he's made this mistake. I haven't watched in two, or three seasons, and I'm beyond. Shocked that this is a thing.
1: Well, it's also because the girl Raquel is like best friend with Ariana, and she's like they're all in the same group, so it's like super incestuous, right? But like also, Kristen uh, Duante dated Tom first, so it's like they all have like dated each other, and they've all like been in this world, but he's been with this Ariana and stuck by his side for ten years. So it's well, that's
3: that's what's so crazy about it too is that. When he, what Tom is the, is the hero turned villain. Tom was dating Kristen in the first season. And then he kind of cheated on Kristen with Ariana and then just ended up with Ariana and everyone's like, actually they make a better fit. So let's forget about the fact that he cheated on Kristen, but yeah. now here he comes re- rearing his ugly head. And a lot of people are like, you know what? Once a cheater always a cheater. So everyone has their theories based on even their own lives. I mean, Ooh. that's what I think is so interesting. I remember yeah. watching um Naked Dating. Was that was that what it was <gasps> Yes, called?
1: yes, Naked Dating.
3: And dating they naked. were 100% naked. But to me that wasn't the most interesting thing. The most interesting thing was that they had to choose who they wanted to be with, and then once they chose that person, they were t- tempted with two new people showing up <laughs> naked. Of course, but like to me, it wasn't about the nakedness. It was about the psychology behind what makes someone either stay with the person they're with or get tempted Mm -hmm. into somebody new. And it was all happening during like the swipe eras, Tinder's coming out and who's swiping here and they're talking to someone and then they just ghost you because what? They probably swiped on somebody else that they thought had a little bit more of this or a little less of that. Or so to me, it's the psychology of like, you relate your own life to the people on screen. And oh, again, yeah. that's what reality can do. <laughs> well, and reality
1: think... puts it in this uh, like time frame that like timestamps it for us, right? Like you said, it was the era of Tinder. Well, like Love Island, same thing. Like it came out and it, it was like huge in the UK, but like really hit in the US during that whole like dating, like online dating and like all the matching and this, that, and the other thing era. And then like, Big Brother is always so topical about what's going on in the country, and like I feel like that it does it puts a timestamp on it. Like this Ariana scandal, people are always going to be like, "Oh, it was the Tom Tom whatever time scandal," you know. Like I feel like it's just crazy how reality can put a timestamp on things. Even Housewives, like so many things about the Housewives have put timestamps on what's going on in the U.S. and like what's going on, like. Even fashion and it talks, you know, the silliest things, but like, just like it well, reality. It's a universal not.
2: language, you know. The, yes. the, the, and just because you might not be into whatever the topic is of that particular show doesn't mean there's not another show out there for you. You know, for every Project Runway, there's a Swamp People. For every Duck Dynasty, mm-hmm. there's, uh, you know, a We're Here. So, like, there's something out there for everyone. I mean, the world we live in now, it the news is reality TV. The, you know, the very first reality television show was called The American Family and it was in the 70s. Yes. And it literally it literally just documented an American family having dinner, going outside to play, yeah. come in when it's dark, you know, come in for dinner. Like it was very simple. Um mm. and actually my and that,
3: my father right. who comes from the sports industry would argue that sports is essentially a form yes. of reality TV. Talk about a competition and yep. how many people tune in to watch the Super Bowl. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, this part, if you really know the drama brothers against brothers, I mean, it mm-hmm. is like, if you break it down, it's almost reality. Yeah.
2: yeah. And and 19- we, we like yeah. seeing ourselves play out our, our life experiences playing out for others to see in both directions. We like, Some people like to go ahead and put that out there for the world. And some people love just watching it privately from their living room. Either way, it's affecting a mass section of society. Well,
0: in 1998, there was the PBS show called The Farmer's Wife, which maybe none of you have ever seen, but it was a Mm. huge like people were like, what these fucking farmers are going through? Oh, my God, are they going to stay together? Are they going to what's going to happen to the farm? I mean, there's a there's a voyeuristic you know, part of all of us that wants to know, but let's just get back to the Tom and the Ariana and the, whatever her name is Um, from a production standpoint, just to let people know. So this news is breaking. I don't even know how it got leaked or whatever, but anyway, this news broke, but they're still in production or they're about to go in production. Somebody's picking up a camera and trying to get like real time reaction from what's going on. Right. I think
3: they extended production if I'm not wrong
0: because I'm
3: almost positive that production was wrapping and then this all broke and they were like, well, we're not stopping now. Like this wasn't written into their diet, you know, their production scheme, I guess. I don't think so. I think they They are actually extending production.
1: I think they moved up the reunion because they said the reunion was scheduled for like, I don't know, like two weeks. And I think they're like, moving it up and there's, they are starting to film it back up with like, to just get what's going on in real time. Cause you can't wait for a reunion. Like, Well, that's listen.
0: just it. It moves so quickly. Like by yeah. the time they capture this real time, when is it going to air? Like it, it's, it's, it must, the production people must be like, Oh my God, I'm never going to sleep again. I'm not going to see my family again. Cause I'm going to be like yeah. trying to get this <laughs> show out. You know, I think,
2: I think you just sign up. I think a production person just knows that out for any show. <laughs>
3: yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's pretty That's much
1: the. A... Nice. like You when you're and even in casting, sometimes I'm like, okay, I have like a 14 hour day in front of me. I know that like I need to get whatever whatever person they need, and I know how hard it can be. And it's just like, well, we're gonna do 14 hours today. <laughs> it's like, what I get, but I think it's easier than doing, uh, you know, 24 seven of filming of a reality show. To be honest.
3: Yeah, I mean, it does help that most of our industry is not unionized, so they can just mm-hmm. kind of roll right along. And- not, yet. Wow. not yet. Not yet.
2: Someday. Someday.
0: I know. Are you thinking of aligning yourself with an already existing union, or or what do you think is going to happen with
3: that? Um, I mean, I feel like, you know, the scripted casting directors have teamed up with the Teamsters, mm-hmm. and so whereas... I mean, this is a whole other topic, but, um, whereas the scripted, whereas casting in scripted was the last to unionize. I feel like it's possible that scripted, that unscripted casting could be the first to unionize. Mm-hmm. And that's like, kind of my theory but are you under the umbrella so just for people who don't know so you know casting
0: directors and scripted are under local 399 which is technically the teamsters which is a very funny you know all hands meeting when you go to these things when you have these big huge truckers sitting next to you anyway they're amazing but so are you umbrellaed under because you're part of csa are you at all umbrellaed under our union at all
3: now in, in the, in the scripted agreement, the only, uh, like reality isn't written in. And I was like, well, maybe reality casting could just be written into the mm-hmm. pre-existing already existing contracts, which, you know, we are, we've, we've, we've had a little bit of talks. We've been talking to team sirs. Um, then they basically said, you guys need a big group of people. You need like some, a big mm-hmm. group of unscripted casting people who are interested in moving forward. Um, because I do think we would need our own agreement. So it wouldn't because scripted and unscripted is so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a
0: downside to unionizing at all? Rachel, do you think, or Jeffy? no, I wish I would, I would
1: love to unionize. I think with what Kristen said, like, I totally, um, I go to the meetings too. And I think it would be amazing. Like, we would have, a, you know, standard pay that we can expect and ask for. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it would be easier to help us with, like, finding jobs, keeping jobs, moving up in the industry. Because, listen, I was a recruiter for, like, five or six years before anyone even would hire me as a associate producer. And then, like, I've had to, like, beg people to give me producer jobs. And, like, I feel like... I understand that you need to, you know, work your way up, but by the same token it's like, well, we, I think if we had a union, we could kind of figure out like what those job titles do, what do they mean? Like what is the pay? Like it would
2: regulate all those things. It yeah. would set a it would set a standard, be consistent. I mean, television is honestly the true wild west of, yeah. of the world and there you know, for every good person there's a bad person and for every person that wants to like promote you there's someone that's going to throw you under the bus not to quote rachel but uh, (laughs) but, i mean it's true there's a lot there is a potential for a lot of shiftiness to happen and Mm -hmm. i am very thankful that since about a year before the pandemic i kind of broke through a ceiling where i just don't work with assholes anymore Mm -hmm. and i i think that's possible throughout the entire industry. I think there's enough good people to do it right and do it well that you don't need to worry about the jerks in the industry anymore. And I think we just need to do it together hand in hand and march forward through that next chapter.
0: So this is a good, pivot. sorry, I just wanted to pivot before we would lose everybody. Um, so this is a good pivot to talk about the impending writer's strike, the scripted writer's strike that is on the horizon. My brother-in-law is a showrunner, producer, writer for a CW show. And, you know, just chatting with him over this weekend, you know, they're pretty confident that that's going to happen. Um, and and in the past strikes, um, that has really benefited um, mm-hmm. to some, and you can talk to that, um, the, the unscripted, but of course, if you were in a union as a sister union, you would, you would want to support your fellow, um, you know, brothers and sisters who are striking. So it's kind of a catch 22 if you, if you actually were in a union, but anyway, can you talk about what, what you see on the horizon? And if there is a scripted writer strike, what does that do for the, the non-scripted, the unscripted? I world?
1: usually the history it's helped the unscripted because it's given us more opportunities for work and more people, I mean, I hate to say it, but scrambling, which makes us more in demand, which is great. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But like, I, you know, I know that there was a a lull back, I don't see it now, but like the past few months, like I want to say for six months, and I think both of you guys can attest to it, where there wasn't really a lot of work.
3: And I think it's still, I think it's still that way.
2: It's still a little rough right now. I I have never gotten to to mid-March and been unemployed. It's wild.
1: Right. Yeah. And I... I feel like, I mean, like, I have been lucky because I work on, like, game shows. I work on kind of, like, a bunch of stuff that I rotate, like, my time on. But, um, I mean, I would say, like, usually I can see, like, a ton of casting, like, jobs on Staff Me Up and stuff like that, and it's been wild. So, I mean, I guess it would only benefit us, right? Like
3: I almost wonder if this lull is attributed to the fact that there nobody knows what's going to happen, and if the strike happens, they might throw a bunch of casting, you know, at the wall and, you know, get the go in 2020, when there was no production happening, boots on the ground, everything was happening behind the scenes and in casting and in pre-production. Cause they were just like, let's rack up some cast, Let's rack up some, you know, some pre-pro. And then as soon as we're allowed to get back out there, we'll be set and ready to go. And I feel like that could happen as soon as potentially the strike is called because there's always ideas. I mean, production companies and networks have development deals with studios. And I mean, it's there are always projects that are just here. It's not easy to get a project picked up. One thing I wanna say, cause I can't even tell you the number of times people say, oh, I, I want a show about my life. Okay. <laughs> it is very hard to get a show picked up, but there are always ideas that networks are just about to, to pin down. And I think it might just be that they're waiting to see what happens with the strike. I, that's that's my opinion.
2: I agree. March twentieth is when we're supposed to find out. And so, regardless of what happens, I do think the reality side of things will immediately the floodgates will get greenlit. There'll be shows. Mm-hmm. I, at least I have to think this way. I'm thinking positive. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but like there, you know, there was a there was a writer strike. When was that? Two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand
1: nine. They did this the fall. Big Brother.
2: Yes, yes. And I mean, reality TV, boom, you needed to put something on TV, it's cheaper to produce, you can certainly crank it out as low budget as you need it to be and get stuff into the streamers, right? So I do see it, even though this low period has been, uh, one of my colleagues said the worst she's ever seen it in 20 years. I do think it's only temporary. And I think reality side will stand to be back on track, regardless of what happens. It just needs to happen.
0: Well, yeah. we'll see. I'll probably be coming to asking you guys for jobs
3: <laughs> if this happens. <laughs> we take we take on a lot. I mean, we have mm-hmm. to be trusted, and then and then we have to switch it off and switch it back on for the next person who shows up. And you know, we have to obtain their trust in mm-hmm. thirty minutes and get them to properly say the soundbite that's going to sell themselves mm-hmm. the network. And like sometimes these people aren't comfortable on camera; they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. So we have to coach them on how to say what their story is. It's so like,
1: how to darn. even set up a, a Zoom? Like, that's the thing, too. It's like they're professional actors taught how to set up a ring light and have a black, a blue background behind you and how to have sound and, you know, use your phone or use the good cam- camera, whatever. But like, these people are real people. I mean, you would not believe how long I spent on Zooms trying to get these first senior bachelor to like Aww. get on. And like, you know, oh, they are so sweet and they're so patient. Like they're honest to God. Like they, they are so patient with me. Cause I'm like, just click the link. <laughs> like,
0: right. Right. Well, I like, can't I wait. Don't
1: know. And like, sometimes people will show up and they'll have a, you know, they'll be filming in front, like a, a bright window will be behind them. And I'm like, I can't see you <laughs> like, Right. close the window. Can you do this? So I do, I appreciate that. Like now, um, I mean, I've been posting videos, I see Kristen post videos where we're like, this is a great way to set up a Zoom. This is a, you know, like casting tips, that kind of thing for like unscripted. So I think it's like, it's nice to see that feel like we're as an industry even trying to like promote on social media where people can go to our Instagram pages and learn how to make a video and learn what we're looking for and i made this open call video like i was found at an open call in 2010 and so i made this video recently and i was like this is like be ready to talk be ready to speak clearly have a point that comes across quickly because in open call you don't know how long you'll have um and i think like you said the the points with like the special stories people send us and then they're getting videos from their family and they're getting pictures and they're sharing all this personal information with us. And like, you know, we slid into their DMS like four days ago and they're giving us like a background check you know, on day five. It's like, what? <laughs> like, it can be I'm, still,
2: I'm amazed. I'm amazed sometimes that I, I, how much information I get from people literally just being an open, authentic stranger on the internet. And yeah. I, I am easily Googleable, but like, so, you know, a little research shows I'm clearly legit, but I, I mean, it's, it's fascinating that if you just have the right approach, people will give you whatever, I guess. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's kind of scary. But, um, <laughs> any other last thoughts that you guys have given me so much of your time, any last, last looks, any last uh, things to say about this very important?
3: I just always feel like if you're someone who has considered reality TV, Give it a shot. I mean, the worst thing that could happen is you learn a little bit about yourself in an interview process or someone asked a question you've never considered, you know, you've never considered about yourself before. I've had that happen so many times where they're like, this really did feel like a therapy session. And sometimes it kind of is. It opens up a little bit of floodgates that they might not have, you know, they might've shut off years ago. So I think regardless of how far you get in the process, I still think it's a fun opportunity and you really never know where it could take you. Look, Rachel showed up at an open call 13 years later. She has a career, a husband, kids. I mean, literally her entire life was born from big brother. So yeah, you just never know.
1: Yeah. And I think that I, I would love for people to start in the industry to start understand, like, I don't want to say respecting, but like, you know, unscripted is like, it's a beautiful industry also. And I hate when people say, Oh uh it's trash TV because it's not it unscripted is beautiful and it's the stories are beautiful and you know they're real and they're raw and people that we're watching on camera are sharing a real raw moment with us, and that it's I just feel like it's so special and like that they're allowing us to come into their lives in a vulnerable moment and crying on TV and you know, hooking up on TV and like whatever they're doing, it's just I feel like I just love unscripted. That's what I love about it, and i I hope other people can get a little excited about it as well.
2: less less words I mean, I think we'd had a great conversation, y'all. I thought I mean, we did a good job. I'm anxious to see how this writer strike turns out. I'm currently not working, so if you want me to win a second <laughs> Emmy, I'm happy to <laughs> go out there and do some Emmy award winning work for somebody. Yeah. And give me a ring. <laughs>
0: well it's been an absolute honor talking to my colleagues my esteemed colleagues today and yes. i hope we we talk more and who knows maybe we'll work together you never know what's gonna happen yes
2: let us know yes. good, good good to meet you and good to see you uh Kristen and Ra- rachel
0: yeah you it's too guys too and oh.
1: nice to Lisa thank you for having us
0: absolutely all righty people so this is killer casting saying goodbye
2: Killer Casting is a concept created by her, Lisa Zambetti. It is produced by me, Dean Laffin. Logo art by my beautiful wife, April Laffin. Audio editing by him, Sean at choicevoiceproductions.com. And our theme music, We Are Beautiful, comes from them. That would be Hollywood legends, amphibious zoo music. Until next time, Killer Casting, out.